Okay, um, so I was asked to speak on parenting. Uh, I will tell you uh, probably each section of this, of what we're going to talk about. I'm going to kind of do a very high level view of my perspective and what the Bible teaches. But uh, I have probably a one hour lesson to two hour lesson to two or three lessons on each section of these, these areas that I'm going to hit on. And uh, so this is kind of an overview. And um, um, so um, probably, you know, what gives me credibility to be here today, um, one of my mo more proud moments, and, and I know pride is not one of those things that we're supposed to have, and I try to say that in the most positive way, is whenever my son called me up uh, at school and said, Dad, you know, it's a humbling experience to uh, wipe a grown man's behind. And uh, and I said, you know, okay, I did something right, and uh, and that was a member of the church that that had cancer, and uh, some of the men at church were going over and helping to put him to bed and do his hygiene for him, and I say that to say this is to say, um, as Christians, we're supposed to be servants, and that's what we need to be raising our children for. So. Um, so that's just one example of, of um, whenever I think, you know, did you do some things right? Uh, did plenty of wrong. So starting off, and I'm going to just kind of really gloss over a lot of things. I'm not going to read a lot of verses, but I am going to give you some verses to think about. And like I said, each one of these sections, uh, there can be a whole lesson on and, um, and a lot more discussion. Um, first, both parents must be God-centered and focused and on his word. And so uh, that has got to be the paramount point of where we have to be, is we must be God-centered. And uh, I, I'd go back and I would use Joshua 24, verse 15, and this is where Joshua says, uh, you choose uh, for your house today, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I think there's a lot to be said in that passage. And so we've, we've got to uh, make sure that we are addressing that. And, uh, and so the other thing I will use, I'll also use a passage in Joshua also. Um, Joshua 1 and uh, 6 through 9 is the passages I wrote down. But uh, this is God's edifying Joshua before he goes in the land of Canaan. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right nor to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Be strong and be courageous. Parents need to be strong and be courageous. It is your family. God has given you the family. It is your job to bring them, your children up in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, verse 8 um, also says, uh, This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Parents must meditate on the Lord's word day and night. Uh, and I, we're going to see why this becomes very important later on, or why I, I use these verses uh, there. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 uh, 16 through 17, this is all scriptures are inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, or correction, training in righteousness, so that man and God may be 
man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God has given us the scriptures. It's our job to go mine those scriptures and understand what God wants us to do. It is not always pointed out to say, parents, this is what you should be doing for your children. Sometimes we have to read the Old Testament. We have to read examples. We might even be looking at what God told the church to do. We need to be applying that to our families. Okay? There's a huge difference between families and churches. And the nice thing is church can only apply rules and laws that God has laid down. We're going to find out we fathers and mothers, we can apply any rule. We can find a principle in the Old Testament and say, you know, this is what I want for my family. Remember that. We're going to come back to that concept later on. We need to understand we have to apply the rules for wherever we are. Uh, also, I, I do want to touch on the basis of if there's anyone here that's a single parent or um, the other spouse is, is not um, a Christian. I go to, I go to 2 Timothy 1.5, and this is where Paul tells Timothy, For I am mindful of sincere, sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. It does not mean you can't raise godly children in a single household. We also read that in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, we're not given uh, permission to divorce our spouse because they're unbelievers, but we're also supposed. To, but it is more difficult because. Uh, but you've got to work at it, and you've got to be setting that example every day. Uh, that's a whole lesson in itself, right there. Um, but. Uh, so I'm going to go, uh, most of what I'm going to talk about is assuming both parents are believing, chill, uh, believing and uh, that they have their mind and eyes focused on the Lord. So also, uh, going back to Joshua 24, uh, have you sat down with your spouse and set your goals for your family? I think that's a great verse to set, serving the Lord. And that word serving there's a lot of bullet points that come under that, and we're not going to touch those bullet points today. We don't have time to touch that. Like I said, this, this parenting discussion is, can be very long. Uh, parents must study and apply God's Word together. We must be living examples. Let me make it clear to you, you cannot teach a child between 1 and 12 the exact words and get them to understand it. They must be seeing an example. Okay? A three-year-old and a five-year-old does not understand what adults and can apply what adults. They understand examples. I will, th I will tell you, I really believe the example is the most powerful thing we have. And so parents must be living God's Word. You cannot live God's Word only in church. If you're living God's word only in church services, we're going to lose our children. They have to see us living that throughout our lives. By the way, I'm more than happy for you to raise your hand, ask a question, or make a comment. I'm, I'm kind of te I'm in a kind of an instructive teaching. Mo I'm not in my teaching mode where I like to ask a lot of questions. I, like I said, I have hours worth of material here and I'm going to try to stuff in 45 minutes and and uh, hopefully uh, just kind of uh, 
be a tickler to ask more questions. So parents must must be that living example. And one of the things that's so important for parents is, and I and I use Ephesians four. Uh, verses 1 through 6 and this is talking about the unity of the spirit the unity of the church one baptism one spirit and one of the things I like about this this chapter is talking about the church and how we must work together well this is how parents must work together you in verse 2 it says with all humility gentleness patience showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace our children must be able to see their parents solve problems. Maybe everybody else has got it better than Sandra and I have, but we had issues between us. God expects us. That's what he's telling us here. He just told us we must solve problems with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance from one another. That's how we're going to create that bond of unity and peace. And that's what a family needs to be. So our children need to be seeing us solve problems. And they need to see us solve them in a godly manner. This, this is very important that, that our children see this. Because that's how they're going to solve problems. Uh, think about your daughters marrying, and this is something Sandra impressed upon me, and I, I didn't do it well, um, Remember, your daughter is going to marry someone like you, possibly. And that should scare, I mean, you laugh. Uh, that scares me a little bit. It scares me a lot. Um, and so the point is, is we need to be solving problems, being that example we need to be, because that's what our sons and daughters are going to expect in their spouse. And are we living that godly example? One of the things of application here, kids need to see parents repent and acknowledge wrong. Uh, how would they learn that trait uh, that is taught throughout the Bible if they don't see it applied at home? Have you ever gotten mad with your spouse and lost your temper? I have. And our kids have seen that. So do we come back and say, that was wrong, we didn't do that right. So think about that lesson that we're teaching our children. Number one, we're not perfect. And so as I think about this right here, one of the things, because I go back and I ask my children, I said, okay, what kept you faithful? Because your mom and I didn't give you the perfect example. And they said, you, tell, you kept telling us, go to the scriptures, that's what you're supposed to do, not what your mom and dad are doing. So we need to be um, we need to be telling our children every day the scriptures are what's perfect. We're trying to apply it, but they also need to see us whenever we don't apply it correctly. They see us in that repentant mode and that sorrowful mode, and they need to see us changing it. You, you just can't say I'm sorry I lost my temper, and then the next day just you know. You're going to, you know, sin, getting rid of sin is a process. And our kids need to understand we have to discipline ourselves over time to get to that perfection. Okay? So that's, that's one of the things our children need to see. Uh, parents must be positive about the Lord's work. 
So whenever I'm thinking about parents and the example we're setting, we can't leave church abusing the preacher. I can't believe he preached ten minutes over today. If you get in the car, and so and this is another thing, wherever you get in the car and you leave church service, my kids knew they were going to be asked. So what did you learn from the lesson? What did you get that you can apply to your life this week? That's a lot different message than I cannot believe he said that. I cannot believe he went over time. Did you see the dress that sister so-and-so was wearing? What are, what, are our, what are we presenting to our children and, and is it positive in the Lord's church? There is not, this is not, you know, the reason I know this is because every congregation I've ever attended, this is not a congregation of perfect people. That is not, God didn't come to save perfection. He came to save people that were in sin. And we are people that have admitted that we are in sin and that we are trying to serve God. That's the only difference between us and the world. And that we have forgiveness. They don't. We have forgiveness and we're working to improve ourselves. Now we're trying to get to that perfection. Um, as parents, we and, and notice I'm focusing a lot on, I mean, I mean parents is, is, what is, is the key uh, to raising children. We must find joy in the journey. Our kids need to see us being happy as Christians. And not on Sunday, but all the time. And so... Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have our days of downtime, right? Elijah went into the cave. Elijah is, is the man that God uh, took up. The whole point is, is generally speaking, we have to, our kids have to see being a Christian is something we, we find joy in and that we want to be doing. Um, Whether it's showing hospitality as Christians, uh, gospel meetings weeks. How do we look at gospel meeting weeks? Do we clear our calendar? Do we make our focus around the Lord? And, and kind of going back to Joshua's comments, you know, serving the Lord. As Christians, we need to be making sure our whole world revolves around God. It cannot revolve around anything else. And so, I, so I make this application in a gospel meeting. Uh, how do you look at gospel meeting weeks? Do you clear your calendar? Is the night that you're going to have the preacher over, is that a special night? Is that something you're, you, you make something exciting for your children? Is it something to have conversations and, and, and to ask a question to the preacher to get their opinion on this scripture? How do you, do you focus on that? And I'm, you know... I'm not going to tell you it's wrong to, you know, to, to talk about how good Auburn football is versus Alabama football. <laughs> but whenever you have the preacher in your home, do you take part of the conversation? I would think majority of the conversation. Find out some scripture. Or have him tell some stories about positive things he's seen in other churches to encourage your children. To bring, this is what it looks like. And if you're here in most South Georgia congregations, maybe you talk about, well, how many young people do you have? And, you know, so your children see that, hey, there's more young people out there in the church. There's people that, that are living the faith. 
So how do you how do you bring that positivity, and how do we uh, bring that? One of the things, so take opportunities to go to gospel meetings. So one of the things we had, uh, there were no churches close to us. They were all one hour plus away from us. So one of the things I did for my children, we didn't have a lot of money whenever I was younger. And so uh, eating out would have been a very big treat. Well, we didn't have enough money to eat out, but guess what? I had enough money I could stop at Dairy Queen and buy them an ice cream. And that was exciting for them because they didn't get that very often. So guess what after the gospel meeting? I made sure they had a treat to where they rode in the car for two hours, three hours, and tried to make something fun of that journey about the gospel meeting. And whenever you're at, you know, so maybe not here as much because there's a busy road out there, but most of the congregations we attended... Uh, there would be a lot of other young children. And these were country congregations, so there was always something to the side, and the kids got out there and played uh, chase, or whatever the kids did. Take time and let them enjoy that. That's, that's part of the fun. So, yes, you need to come to church, you need to do that, but also remember, you got five-year-old children Make the make the experience look at look at from their point of view and make it a positive experience. Now, same thing. You got a whole hour, hour and a half going back. What's your conversation back in the van, uh, minivan or whatever you're driving with your children? It's an opportunity to reinforce what the preacher said or to go back through that. Um, as we talk about positivity, Paul says in Philippians 4:11, "Not that I speak from want." For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. And so one of the things we need to do as Christians is, is everything we need to be doing, we need to be presenting uh, a, a positive attitude. Now, whenever I say that, you do want to include your children in seeing there is sin. It's important that we include our children in that. Because if we if we do not expose our children to certain things, now I, whenever they're five years old, I'm not going to be sitting there talking about the case of adultery in the church that that and discipline is taking place. I'm probably not going to get too deep into that. But whenever they're 12 years old and they're 15 years old, we're going to have a good conversation of what the church is doing, and we're going to understand the church is applying 1 Corinthians 5. And we're going we're gonna to have a good conversation around what's going on. So whenever I talk about positivity, we don't hide everything that's going on. Because remember what I said, the children need to see parents solving problems. They need to see and understand the church has got to solve problems too. So whenever I'm talking about presenting a positive attitude, I also you gotta, you also got to bring your children along to where... Whenever they leave home, they, got, they have to know that there's problems that's got to be solved and there are going to be problems. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, if you dwell on that, I think that, that can I mean you've got to be careful. Remember, there's, there's all this balance that must go on. Family structure must be according to God's pattern. This is another bullet point to go through. Uh, so... As I look at family structure today, we are confused about family structure. Okay, family structure 
must be in place. And that's important because we're fixing to get into the next area here. Family structure is fathers are the leaders of the family. Mothers are part of the family. Now, whenever I say that, I'm going to, and, and I cannot express to you enough about the husband and wife relationship being correct. And we're going to, we're, you're going to see that whenever we get down into some of the things that I'm going to encourage you to do. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.3, Christ is the head of man, man's the head of the woman. Um, Ephesians 5.22, 5, Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33, um, Husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the of the church, he himself being the savior. Husbands, leadership is not giving commands. Leadership is servitude. Just as Christ uh, washed the disciples' feet. We as husbands, as fathers, we are here to serve. Now Whenever we can't decide something, um, then that responsibility falls on the father to make that decision. There has been a few times in mine and Sanders' life that we could not solve the problem or make, we could not come to consensus. And I will tell you, uh, forcing your wife to go do something every day is... is uh, not going to make for a happy marriage. But whenever we're talking about spiritual things, we have to be looking at the scriptures and then go back up to Joshua. You've got to be meditating on the word and that will get you closer there. We've had differences on where we would go live. We couldn't resolve that. I made that choice. Now, what did my wife do? She understood the role that she played and she was a great Christian woman. And it worked out. So we must have structure right. We're not going to always agree. And fathers, you've got to make those, those uh, decisions. So why, so why we talk about structure? Because in Ephesians 6, so fathers are responsible for the children's well-being. Fathers... You're responsible. It is not your wife's responsibility to teach your children. Now, who did most of the teaching at our house? Sandra did. Why? Two or three reasons in our household. I worked. She stayed home with the children. She's much more nurturing. But whenever I got off from work, as my children describe it today, Dad, you always had a project. You always had a project for us to do. Uh, and, and that is correct. We were either building something, buying something new, renovating, doing something. But in that renovation, uh, I remember one time, and, and the boys thought they were smart. So this is, this, these are the fun things that you talk about today. So they would... They thought they were smart getting out of work by getting Daddy to monologue about scriptures. Well, guess what? That's exactly what I wanted to be doing, right? I'm teaching my children. They thought 
they were getting a 30-minute break versus a five-minute break. But what was I doing? I was teaching. We don't go... If we go home as fathers, we have to work. We have to provide for our families, okay? That's scriptural. But whenever I get off, do I go with my friends to play golf? Do I go with my friends to go hunting? Or do I come home? I need to come home. And I'm not going to say there's not a time that you can, you know, it should be the exception whenever you go do something different. Okay, we all need to clear our minds every once in a while. But fathers, you're responsible. Uh, and, you know, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, so I'm talking about that discipline and instruction of the Lord. You ha- you're responsible. You have to do that. Also, note, do not provoke your children to anger. We can provoke our children to anger, too. Now, I don't think you necessarily do that in the younger ages but I think as you get in the teenage ages remember we tell a two year old not to touch the light switch the light socket and if they go towards it we spank them there's no question but whenever they're 15 we need to be explaining why you don't text and drive do you see one I got to start telling the why and, and, and there's an evolution. I always break up children in, in three categories. And I have not looked at psychology to say if this is right. I just like the number seven. So you handle your children differently, one through seven, seven through 12, and then 12 through 21. Um, 14 through 21. Excuse me. Thank you. Bad math there. Uh, and there's, there's no given. There is still times at 21, I'll give my children, no, you're not going to do that. Just like they were a two-year-old. But 90% of the time, I'm sitting down and reasoning with them. And, it, and it's funny because sometimes my, all of my children, so they, you know, they get to that point that you know, they got a decision in life. And I say, well, they say, Dad, what should I do? I don't know. It's your decision. You've got to do that. And they said, Dad, would you just tell us what to do? It's a lot easier if you just tell us. No, it's your decision. It's your responsibility. You've got to bear the consequences. Now, obviously, I'm choosing where I'm starting to do some of that. And I start that early. Well, if you want to do that, here's, here's what I see the consequence. Your choice. And let them bear those consequences. Now, obviously, as parents, and we should be looking for, I mean, we're always looking for win-wins for our children, okay? But is it okay to set up a win-lose? I think you have to set up win-loses for your children. You know? Um, So my son, two-year-old son, uh, he felt bad. I told him, I said, I think you did an excellent job as a parent. And, And the story goes is... Um, Baker was 18 months, I think. He's about 18 months. There's an ant bed right there. He's been told not to get in it. Well, guess what? Baker kept, and so Taylor let him get in it. Guess what? He got bit. I thought it was a great lesson. For the next six months, Baker would walk by and say, no, 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 no. We did that with our children. Now, if it's a yellow jacket nest, no, I'm not going to do that. 
But letting a few ants get on a child and bite them so that they learn a lesson, yeah, that's as good as spanking them, in my opinion. And and I'm not... Notice I'm not going back to some of the fundamentals of, of parenting. Um, I, I'm kind of giving you a, a overview. If you do not discipline your children, you're not caring for your children. Hebrews 12 says God disciplines those he loves. We have to discipline our children. Children need discipline. Do you know what the biggest form of child abuse is? It's neglect. It's not sexual. It's neglect. Our children want to be put in boxes. They're happiest whenever they know their boundaries. Now for us parents, we got to remember we can't put them in a two in a two year old boundary. That boundary keeps expanding. We want it to expand. And it's okay for our children to step out of those boundaries every once in a while. Possibly with some discipline. Just like I said, I've let them bear some consequences. But I will never tell you I allow my children to do something I think had long-lasting consequences. So fathers, you're responsible. Here's the key, I think, for our children. is going back to Deuteronomy 6. Verses 7 through 13, I'm not going to read all of those, but I want to point out verse 7. You shall teach, be diligent to your sons, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house uh, and on your gates. If the Word of God is not alive and well in your household and study of the Bible is not uh, part of it, that doesn't mean we pull the Bible out in every moment of the day. We can teach biblical principles and point our children to the Bible while we're driving. You have your children in the car going to the dentist. You have 30 minutes... Ten minutes, whatever it is, turn the radio off and say, you remember that story about Caleb? Elijah? Do you remember Hezekiah looking across there and seeing that army? And he stood for the Lord, and the next morning 120,000 Assyrians were dead? Think about all the stories you can sit there and have a conversation with and make it real. Isn't it amazing that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days? And if you're a science junkie like I am, how do you relate science to the Bible today? How do you relate? But what does that take? It takes study. We have to be ready for that. And so if our kids are seeing that day in and day out, If our kids believe at at age 15 or 16 they're being smarter than you and they're getting you to take a 30-minute break versus a 5-minute break and you're sitting there just jumping up for joy. Now, so make sure you're studying. I think this is the key. And you keep pointing your children to the Scriptures. You keep pointing your children to the Scriptures because your children sees your flaws. They know us more than ever. Um, 
the other point I wanted to make, I've got 10 minutes and I've got two more points I want to make. And like I said, each one of these is, could be an hour, two hour lessons. Build a hedge around your family. Build a hedge around your family. We live in an evil world today. What do I mean by this? You need opportunities to sit down and teach. So one of the things uh, we were big about, we're going to sit down and we're going to eat supper together. Maybe I have to get up too early for all the children to get up for breakfast, but we're going to have this moment that we're going to sit down and we're going to have a conversation as a family. What are you doing for your recreation? I was blessed. I was one of those people that was blessed in a rural part of North Florida. Boating was very accessible for us. Guess what? If I could put my children on a boat, I controlled who was there. They were having fun. If I could put my children in a hunting stand, I controlled who was there. They were having fun. They didn't understand that was a hedge. They didn't see the hedge. If they were camping on the farm, they were having fun. They didn't know I had a hedge put around them. We controlled who came. We controlled what they saw. But do you see how I've gone from... I, did, I wasn't making commands. They're fun became a hedge. I controlled their environment. That can be camping. That can be uh, providing a home where other children can come and have fun. They can play games. It can be You can do this very cheaply. And you might have to look for, you know, create resources that you haven't thought of yet. But how do you build that hedge around your children? without them knowing you're building a hedge. Now today I'm sitting around telling my, my children, what's your hedge you're building around your family? How are you doing that? Um, spending time with your children. I already kind of touched on that one. Uh, you cannot, children do not understand what quality time is. Children only understand time. I, so I put together making money and spending time with my children. So I could do that. I could renovate a house and have my children with me. It didn't get done in a quick manner, but I could do it. And the other thing that you're doing, you're teaching your children to be confident in where they are. If you teach them the scriptures and they have no confidence, are they going to stand with the scriptures? You've got to teach your children to have confidence. And part of that is, is how do you give your children confidence? I, so, this is, so this is Clay's opinion, but I think, this is, I, I, think I could find scriptures to do this. Uh, I, I built confidence in my children uh, either by their marksmanship of teaching them how to shoot well, uh, how to dive and shoot fish, or how to put in water lines. Uh, my boys were, um, I forgot to ask Sandra, how old were the boys? Were they about seven or eight? Um, Sandra had, she had a kennel business. 
So there was so there's a kennel business that all the kids worked in the kennel business. Well, she wanted water to all of her pens. Well, you know what? That meant I had to put a PVC line down. And so I went out and I made marks and I said, this is where I want the line to run. Do not tie it into the main line. I will do that. You make your parts list. You put it together. You dig the hole. You go to the store and buy the parts and you put it together and daddy will hook it in. What do you think after they went through that process for several weeks doing everything? Yes, I looked at the parts list because it was my money. But guess what? They were proud of that water line. They had accomplished something. What was my risk? Okay, there was a water leak. I had, you know, I had to go fix it. Yes, no, I hooked it up and we made sure there was no water leaks. So I had to cut out maybe, you know, I don't even think we had to cut out. They, I mean, I'd taught them how to do PVC work already. So give your children, whether it's cooking meals, cleaning the house, making repairs around the house. If you got to fix the sink, you have your two-year-old, you have your three-year-old. Notice I'm putting this at a very young age. Give them a pair of channel locks and let them be working. So this is something, all right, so... I am a stickler for certain things. This is something my wife taught me. I wanted my tools to be in a certain place, and I didn't want them to be strung around. So Sandra said, so I'd get on the boys for leaving my tools out. And she says, don't you want them out here working with your tools and doing things? And I said, yeah. So she said, you're going to have to live with some of that. And I did. I'll tell you a quick funny story. My son glued a piece of wood to the floor to the barn. <laughs> and I kicked the wood. I was going to, you know, I saw the wood there and I was going to pick it up and put it up. And uh, I kicked it. And I had an axe in my hand. <laughs> and I noticed it was uh, glued to the floor. And uh, I had the axe. And I said, boys, what did y'all do with this? And, and the little one. Uh, Taylor said, Daddy, I glued it to the floor by accident. And the little one says, Daddy, chop his head off with the axe. Chop his head off. <laughs> Obviously, a good bump with the axe. I got it off. But you see how all of that comes to confidence? And, and so there's a lot of funny stories. But whether it's cooking, cleaning, whatever you're doing, mothers, you got to cook a meal. Is your child up at, the ca up at the counter throwing flour on the floor, making a mess? And dads, whenever it doesn't turn out right, you've you got to be encouraging your children. All right, lastly, five minutes. This is probably one of the most important things that I want to, I mean, I've, I've got a whole lesson on this. Uh, make rules for your family. Family rules, uh, we fathers and parents can make uh these rules. Okay? Husbands and wife must be aligned. Fathers, do not come up with a list of this is what my family is going to do. Uh, you should be having conversations with, with your wife. Okay? Uh, if you take and go look at Jeremiah 35, and you got you got to do some research to f try to figure this one out. Uh, this is about the Rechabites. And the Rechabites are invited, Jeremiah invites the Rechabites into the temple, and he puts wine in front of them, and he says, Drink. And if you go back and you study this, this, all, this, this story goes all the way back to Ahab's time. This 
uh, Jehonadab, the Rechabite, uh, actually helped uh, Jehu kill Ahab's household. He saw this great thing. He made some rules for his family, and, and 200 years later, they're being faithful to their father's rules. And what the point of that lesson is, hey, they're being faithful to their father. Why can't you be faithful to God? This is an example of where fathers, you need to be making rules for your house. So what, like I said, there's a whole lesson on this. Modesty. What is your policies on modesty? The church cannot tell the whole congregation what to do. I have never seen anybody disfellowship for modesty. But fathers, what is your household's regulation on modesty? What is your regulation on television? What is your regulation on video games? What part of culture are you going to accept? Who we gonna who are we gonna date? Here's a buffet rule. And I can make this rule. I will not pay for your wedding, nor will I attend your wedding if you marry an unbeliever. Guess what? My kids have heard since they were ten years old. You do not need to be unequally yoked. I can make that rule as a father. There's nowhere in these scriptures says I have to pay for my child's wedding. If my child starts to date someone, and by the way, we also had a rule, you couldn't date until you are 18. We told them you can have anybody over the house, we'll play cards, we'll do things together, but you're not dating until you're 18. We didn't tell them whenever they were 16 that. We told them whenever they were 10. We brought them up and we showed them logic. You're not getting married at 18. You're not getting married at 17. This is the rule. You're not ready to go do that. If you want somebody to come over to the house, we're more than happy to do that. But you're not going out with someone. Where did dating come from? Where did this, this modern-day dating concept? So, fathers, you can put all these rules in place. You need to put these rules in place. What are your children's career? Do you, have we thought about where Christians are going to be next in the next 10 years, next 20 years? What can a Christian go accomplish and do? Where, where are you going to get education from? What are your tools? What are your trades? Teach your children that sports is second, God is first. I don't have a problem with you paying, playing sports. Our children could only play one sport a year. That goes back to we were going to have supper together, and if they're playing sports, we're running all over the place. We narrowed that down. And by the way, don't tell your children you don't want them to be the best at the sport they're playing. Do you know how much time you have to be, time you have to put in to be the best? Guys, I played college football. I didn't want my children to play college football. Go out on the field and play. Go have fun, learn a team sport. And guess what? I said, I want you to be second. Guess what? We homeschooled. My kids only went to school to play sports, and every one of them was a captain of their team. What happened there? They were servants. Everybody likes a servant. They didn't have to be, they were not the best on the team, but they were good leaders. 
Think about that. Think about that. Uh, teach our children to be servants. Make up rules for your household. Fathers, our society has neutered our men. You have responsibilities to make rules for your household. You and your wife need to be sitting down and thinking about every aspect of your child's life and you need to be making rules. You can do that. We understand adultery is wrong. The church cannot set modesty, but you can. And you should be studying the scriptures to understand. And you need to be telling your children why this is the rule. My children can tell you why I have rules about marriage and who they're going to date and when they're going to date. Because we sat down and we looked at the scriptures together and we said this is what God's teaching. Uh, there's a lot more depth in each one of these subjects. I appreciate it. If you really want to know the expert in our family on raising children, I'll give you my wife, Sandra. And uh, uh, raising children is a team sport, is, and fathers are given the responsibility. But I will tell you, if you're not a team with your wife, uh, your spouse, it's, it's going to things you're not going to get there you have to be like-minded and and whenever I say like-minded it doesn't mean I'm not telling you you have to agree like-minded is that we see the scriptures as the authority and that's the only authority and we're hammering every day to become that unity of spirit thank you